The show where we subject Gossip Girl, Friday Night Lights, and whatever happens to hey, strike whatever, our fans. Whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, a level of scrutiny that, in our humble opinion, they definitely deserve. I'm Matthew Rather. That was Ryan Sheely, and we're here with Jordan Stokes. Welcome back. Hey. hey. Uh, and just in a complete U-turn from everything we've done or promised to do, uh, we're going to talk about community because we <laughs> like it. Uh, because Glee used to be one of the foci of this podcast. Ooh, Latin plural. And because uh, they did the Glee episode as their Christmas special, their musical Christmas special. And so it seems to uh, slot nicely into our, um, you know, our brief here. And uh, as many things slot nicely into our briefs on this podcast. Zing! Uh, so, uh, the Glee Christmas special was, a uh, uh, the Glee Christmas special of community was a parody of the television show Glee with a nefarious, uh, Glee club director, sweater vested Glee club director, um, who seemed evil, but it was unclear what his evil plan was other than getting people to join Glee club and getting Britta not to sing. Right. I mean, his, his evil plan was turning community into Glee. <laughs> Well, I wonder, yeah, right. I mean, I wonder if that's not a kind of meta joke. As I watch back... It's precisely a meta joke, I, yeah. I, pr- I watch this, like, this, this puts me in mind of the third season opening musical number, where all the things that they sing about are, I'm sure, network notes that they get from, you know, the powers that be at the studio and the network where communities produce. Like, the characters have to be less weird. They have to be nicer. They have to kind of, like, come together and, like, learn a lesson at the end, you know? And uh, you can't keep everyone on the hook with Jeff and Annie the way the way you have been. So, like, uh, we're going to have more fun and be less weird than the first two years combined, and we're going to live forever, and we're going to sleep together. Together and we're gonna finally be fine. Uh, are the the lyrics of that? And the you know those are jokes about about the show and about like viewer complaints about the show. And I guess you know I I guess I wonder like I I guess the joke that's being made. I'm just spelling out um, the explicit argument that that you were making, Ryan. I think is that you know. Uh, that the the drive to make the show more popular is actually kind of evil, or to to put more sort of popular elements into the show that that's actually very bad, right? Well, right. I mean, I think that there is a. I, I think there's also an element here that you know. I guess there's a, there's a discourse around uh, around Glee that Glee is about kind of uh, geeks and outcasts. But it is very. It is a very popular show. I mean, I haven't seen the numbers, but is is, is it still one of the most popular shows on television? Um, and is the juggernaut, is the Glee juggernaut, still strong? Um, I, I'm swiftly googling Glee ratings. Go ahead and uh, make but, your point. But, though, and but, I'll, I'll but I think in. that I think that we're, like we're, uh, I, if the numbers back that up. You know that there is a you know I, I like I think there could have been pressure implicitly or explicitly to. Um, to make community more like Glee and that they, you know, they're both in their third season. Um, and while, um, Glee has become this, you know, massive multimedia phenomenon, um, community has, uh, has, has remained much more of a, of a niche show. Um, and has, uh, is, is now, um, on an indefinite hiatus as you guys, um, talked about on the most recent episode of the, uh, overthinking it podcast, um, in, in a lot of depth. Um, and, and I think that, um, as you say, that part of, um, you know, part of what it means to be like Glee right. is to be very, very bright, very, very, um, cheery, so upbeat, kind of real, cheery. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, and, and in some ways, um, oh, oh, what, um, kind of, of satis- emotionally satisfying. Um, and what's interesting though, is that in, you know, when we were, when, when we were watching, focusing on Glee, um, over the last, uh, the first two years of, of the show's, uh, run, part of what attracted us to it was the show's 
weirdness um, and the and 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 various kinds of inconsistency, uh, like sort of charming idiosyncrasies, uh, charming um, inconsistencies that were really um, doing. Uh, some interesting work thematically, um, and right. And that, that is that is to say, we thought that the that um, Glee was a show about irrationality at some level, and that the right rubric to discuss it was the rubric of behavioral economics. It turns out that that Glee maybe turned out to be more about a show. It turned out to be more of a show about identity uh, than it was a show about irrationality, and that the irrationality was was incidental to the the adolescent uh, age of the characters, right? Well, then what? it kind of stopped being a show about anything, you know. Right, and and indeed, it has um, uh, it has lost uh, about a quarter of its. You okay there, Jordan? Yeah, that was I, I, that was weird. I just saw my bar fly up to full, but I heard nothing. <laughs> I heard nothing. Um, <laughs> it's lost about a quarter of its audience in the uh, the you know desirable, or as uh, the article I'm reading says, has fallen twenty three point nine percent in the coveted eighteen to forty nine demographic. So it's doing <laughs> uh, three point four rating in the demo and eight point one million total viewers. Can I just say the only things that I've ever known to be coveted in my entire life are the 18 to 34 demo and your neighbor's wife's ass in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes, I mean, I'd like to see the Venn diagram between the two. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, very often. Right. Actually, when she ages out of the demo, your neighbor's wife's ass is no, uh, is no longer coveted, I think. Although you're still not allowed to. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Um, though that's a, it's a prohibition without any teeth. If you wouldn't, you know, if you wouldn't anyway. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, well, okay. So, so I don't know. Where do you want to start? I think there are great, uh, I think there are lots and lots of great moments throughout the, um, uh, throughout the, the episode. Do you have a, do you have a favorite one or do you have a place that you want to, um, uh, you want to start? I mean, what does community accuse Glee of being? Sort of vapid. I mean, e- evil, but what does the evil uh, consist of, right? Like, sort of vapid, um, you know, lacking in, lacking in substance or, or nuance, perhaps. Well, and I think a big, a big part of it is conformity, because in addition to being a parody of Glee, this is also a, a very specific parody of the 1978 Donald Sutherland version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, right? With uh, with that Jeff turning around singing the note, is um, is a, a shot for shot parody of a particular scene in that movie. Um, so they're saying that the Glee Club are body snatchers, and the body snatchers movies, and there's been like three or four remakes. They're always about evil conformity, which, depending upon your political leanings, you can either say it's about evil communist conformity or about evil McCarthyist conformity. But it's definitely about evil conformity. Well, and I, I, th- I think there is something interesting that happened, you know, this is something that we've talked about a little bit in, in Glee, is that, you know, we, we, I earlier was talking about this sort of idiosyncratic charm of season one of Glee. Season two became a bit of a mess, and, and we talked a little bit about, you know, like some of the potential causes of that were that there was not really a writing staff to speak of. But what's something that appeared to have happened in, in season three and part of what drove all three of us away from the show was what, when a writing staff was brought on, they actually made it more like many other shows on TV. And many, yeah, they many thought that the, the worst, yeah, the worst aspects of soap opera, you know, the most, the most melodramatic aspects uh, yeah. were good. And the melodrama was not made what made Glee good you know, for its kind of weird first season. Right. So, so that Glee itself was, was somehow body snatched. Um, well, right. Because it sort of became, yeah. it became one of the cool kids, right? Oh yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so that community, um, even though it has, um, you know, is, is, is on NBC is in this kind of, you know, prime time lineup of comedies that are kind of the vanguard of, of, um, of kind of edgier, um, TV comedy right now, it's it's really not um, obtaining that. You know, it has has you know you know reasonable stars in in Joel McHale and uh, and and Chevy Chase um, does not have that in part because it's um, kind of uh, aggressively itself. Even even though it promised to be um, 
to to be less weird this season you know was in fact you know had had episodes with multiple timelines had episodes that were um you know parodies of a of documentaries about the making of uh, of a documentary about making the making of apocalypse now uh, <laughs> you know had had like blackmail plot lines um and so on and that yeah gay, uh, gay blackmail plot lines no less yes yes exactly um, and, and I think, you know, it featured a, a toupee made entirely of elephant ivory, um, and <laughs> so on. Um, and I think is, is making an argument though, that in fact, in spite of all of this, um, both narrative weirdness and some of the formal weirdness actually all along has been really working on developing characters and relationships between characters and, and has, has really tried to, um, create these resonant kind of emotional and intellectual truths through the weirdness um and even and 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 kind of uh uh, manages to find you know reasonably kind of feel-good notes um within these these relatively dark plot lines or dark dark illusions whereas um as I think Abed's, uh, both Jeff says early in the Christmas episode and Abed says near the end, you know, that making everything bright and shiny, um, and, 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 and conformist, um, really kind of makes the darkness, um, like all the more dark. Um, and, and I think that that's part of what, uh, the, the twofold, um, aspect of what, what Glee's being, uh, accused of. And I think that, I mean, I think one of the, the, the scenes that, uh, has really, uh, attracted the most attention, um, and, uh, and the musical numbers has most attention and is in some ways most similar in some, to some aspects of Glee, uh, is, is one that comes in the middle of the episode, which is, uh, Annie's, um, what is it? Teach me how to understand Christmas. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. and, and, and which, which is, um, I mean, you know, I guess I guess we can we could go from there out um, and sort of analog a little bit uh, about what they're making fun of, uh, what each community song is making fun of in Glee, and what that says about Glee. Um, and part of you know what Annie's Annie's song is is uh, gesturing towards is the various uh, types of of sexy sexy time in Glee, and and how like and and how how kind of sexiness and female identity are construed in Glee. Um, uh, and, um, you know, it's funny you should mention that Ryan. Yes. <laughs> Is it? Because we were, uh, you know, we sort of considered an article and I won't call out the article specifically cause we're about to say some bad things about it, but I have a, <laughs> I have a, um, uh, a person I I grew up with, who was a friend of mine uh, growing up in L.A., who is now a, a doctoral candidate in political science. Your discipline, Ryan. To be fair, political theory. So no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair, fair enough. It's the uh, what? It's the softer version of the soft science. That's right. <laughs> the, the cushier, the cushier, and uh, you know. Um, uh, pokier. Oh God. What's the kind of more rubbery? I don't even know. Forget it. This metaphor left me 30 seconds ago. Um, that, uh, that considers girls, (laughs) girls run the world. The, um, the glee version of that and, uh, sort of, and takes as counterfactual the claim that those song lyrics specific, uh, specifically make that girls run the world and sort of talks about uh, objectification, sexual objectification by the camera um, of the uh, female characters in Glee, connects it to self-objectification, uh, kind of self-exploitation by young women uh, learning to kind of exploit their own sexiness as a tool for, for getting what they want. And, and the article wants to make a, a connection between this and sort of decreased political engagement of women um, there apparently is some research that that kind of links this this sort of self conception, this sort of self conception as a sex object or as you know someone capable of being objectified sexually to decreased um, 
political participation and a sort of lack of political agency. It's, it is, however, not well argued. It, I mean, it's kind of a mess and like, um, is, is full of a bunch of, of errors of the effect affect variety that, that don't like, you know, I don't know for all of you writing term papers at this time of year, you know, get the easy stuff, right? Because it just gives an, (laughs) it gives an impression of sloppiness when there are, you know, when there are like their, their, their errors or effect affect errors or lay lie lane errors or, you know, you know what I mean? I guess maybe it's, maybe it's, uh, graders of papers who have particular pet peeves in this department. And I certainly do, but, uh, Oh God! You know, get the get the low hanging get the low hanging fruit. And uh, in, in so I guess I mean even beyond that argument. I mean I guess there is that argument, and that's kind of where I was was shading. But there's also I think that you know to sum up um, something that that Jeff Winger says um, at the end of this song um, is. You know, you know, there's kind of diminishing marginal returns to sexiness, um, <laughs> and and especially because the sexiness is like, um, I mean, I think the the way that the song ends is something to the effect of do 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 sex, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, and it's uh, it's also the diminishing marginal returns of the the sexy idiot character um, that that like. You know, at first when she's like, I don't understand Christmas, it's already, you know, beyond the pale. But uh, it's recognizable as a parody of a certain kind. Maybe, of, I mean, maybe she's Jewish. It's, you know what I mean? So it's like, it shades into that. Uh, never mind, you're right. Go on. <laughs> it's a recognizable parody of, like, the Betty, Marilyn Monroe character. In, Betty uh, Boop something like or something. That. Yeah, Betty Boop is a great example. Um Although if you actually go and watch those Betty Boop cartoons, like she will never admit to not understanding something. She just uh, speaks oddly. Um, whereas the, the Marilyn Monroe character in Some Like It Hot uh, does talk about like how, how stupid she is in that she's always getting tricked by people. You don't really see any evidence of this. But she complains about it as an aspect of her character. And it's meant to inspire, uh, you know, um, who is it, Tony Randall, Tony Curtis? Um, to to feel protective towards her, and therefore to also make the audience feel protective towards her. That's the character that Annie is putting on. But then towards the end, she's like, um, she's sounding like a offensive way to make fun of stupid people. You know, like it's not just do 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 sex. It's sex. <laughs> and Jeff says, like, at, at a certain point, like, you, you, that makes you less sexy rather than more sexy. <laughs> Teach me how to understand Christmas mistletoe for Edie. It tastes good. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And so on. In, in addition to being kind of a, a slam on, on various aspects of Glee, and we could get into that specifically if we wanted to, it also seems like a show note they very, mel- very well might have gotten about Annie, who starts off as being this person who's really, really smart. Um, and although she's obviously a beautiful woman from the get-go, they take steps to avoid sexualizing her. And they actually made jokes about that at various times. Uh, Jeff Winger would say, like, we try to avoid sexualizing it. She's kind of young. Um, so well, no, I can no. imagine a studio executive saying, like, she needs to be less smart and more sexy. And that's how we're going to save the show. If you look in the comments on the last Overthinking It podcast, there's an interview. Uh, someone someone put in a link that's an interview of Dan Harmon, who says that he uh, tries to plan uh, wardrobe for Annie based on what will become an animated GIF on Tumblr. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the, the idea being, I mean, and if you if you look on Tumblr, it's actually it gets a little creepy. Uh, how many Annie's boobs bouncing uh, animated gifs there are on Tumblr, or like Annie in a low cut top, you know? Um, are and, and I know I've looked at them. No, they're all they're actually all co- collected in this article that uh, someone links to from the uh, uh, from the comments on the show notes of the Last Overthinking It podcast, uh, episode one hundred eighty. Michelle Bachman, America is great fun time. If you care, well, kind of, it kind of makes sense, right? That the way that our culture is about sexuality. If you have uh, a couple of characters that are potential sex objects. And then they try to sell one of them, and the other they, they sort of try to play down and repress. That's going to be the one that everyone's going to actually perv out over, right? Sure. 
Um, if you, uh, well, right, yeah. And it's also, though, like the chemistry between Allison Brie and Joel McHale just works a lot better than the chemistry between uh, Gillian Jacobs and, and Joel McHale, right? It's like uh, Jeff and Britta never were supposed to be the romantic couple, and they never, it never quite worked. Um, and I, I take that as a, a uh, sign of a, actually what Ryan says in terms of developing meaningful relationships, that they, that they didn't force that. They actually went kind of with what works, you know, rather than sticking with the characters. Because Annie in the first season is a lot more like Rachel Berry, you know, is this... Uh, and if you've seen actually any episodes of Glee recently, the Rachel character has had anything sympathetic or even a little bit good taken out of her. And she's just scheming and conniving and shallow and, uh, you know, uh, almost inhuman in how, um, how driven, how much like uh, Tracy Flick in election she is. And that's who, you know, and that as as well as kind of like pill popping and sort of addled and, you know, Ritalin or Adderall addicted or something like that. That's who Annie was supposed to be. Uh, And that, that just doesn't work for that actress either. And they, they sort of let that go and they let Britta change from, from trying to be the sexy one to being like supremely weird. Uh, yeah. I like that. Uh, it turns out that Britta is the antibody, right? That like the Glee club can't contain Britta's weirdness. Right. Which is sort of, sort of the showrunner saying like, look, if you want us to, to be like, Glee. If you want us to finally be fine, we're not going to be able to have this character that is, I mean, apparently according to like the message boards I've read, Britta is kind of like a fan favorite. Um, certainly I think she's a great character uh, and there wouldn't be room for her on Glee. You know, even even in the old weird days of Glee, that uh, that dance number she does there at the end is not something that is going to fly. Right, because that's the, that's the dirty secret about Glee, that um, everything comes out sounding like a Backstreet Boys song. You know, mm-hmm. all these things that are supposed to be very individualistic uh, or like kind of celebrate um, individual difference end up coming out like this or expressed in a very kind of homogenized cultural form. Yeah. And, you know, that that also says something, I think, about um, about geek culture. I think that in a way, the incarnation of the Glee Club where everyone has to conform is a very true to life thing. Like, if you've ever been part of an organization where a lot of the people who are in it kind of self-identify as uh, as outsiders or as, like, scare quote, losers, um, those organizations can be kind of frighteningly conformist in a way that's... Um, there's always this tension, you know, because, like, it, it's good to belong to something. that That's a, a wonderful thing to experience. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is why these things tend to hit conformity so hard, is people who feel like outsiders in every other context can go there and feel like insiders um, to the degree that they are themselves sort of irreducibly weird um, and aren't really good at conforming those places will still be charming places to hang out. But if people begin to actually conform, um, then it can, it can very quickly become a, uh, a really unpleasant place to, uh, to spend any, any amount of time. And, you know, that, that happens to real-life organizations. It sort of happened to New Directions, I think. Yeah, and that's, I mean, isn't that kind of why, I mean, just within the world of Glee a little bit, that's why they broke off and formed the all-girl uh, Trouble Tones acapella group, right? Oh, so you've actually still been watching this? Show. I, I, I've seen I have seen episodes. Uh, they do not. Um, they do not make me happy. What I see does n- <laughs> does not please me, uh, because I, occasionally you do see a good musical number, and so, I, I confess I am a sucker for a good musical number. So, so what have they what have they done with the Sugar Mata character um, that was introduced early in season three? Um, the the Aspergers. The Asperger's kid who can't sing, because I feel like I mean, it, it, I mean, I was when we when you Jordan were saying that uh, Britta, when you guys were saying that uh, Britta couldn't fit within the world of Glee. I'm wondering, like, is that character like a a Britta like character? It remains. Um, I mean, it remains to be seen. It's funny because Sugar Mata didn't didn't destroy the Trouble Tones right the way that Britta destroys the the Glee Club and community. Um, she, as long as she wasn't starring 
it's it's kind of like she was okay. She was okay to sing back up as long as she's not too loud. Uh, her manifest terribleness did not um, did not. Uh, could not withstand the uh, Backstreet Boysization of uh, of the Trouble Tones, and now that all the Trouble Tones are back in new directions with pretty much no consequences on any side, uh, I think Sugar Mata. Actually, I, I didn't see her in the Christmas specials, so so maybe she's off doing her own thing. Yeah, she, she's the only one who's still in that group. Yeah, she just sings alone. Uh, yeah, so, do, do you guys want to talk about um, the the Childish Gambino interlude? Yes. What did y'all think of that? <laughs> well, I mean, so, so I, Jordan, I resist the fact that you, you re- refer to, I mean, so part of what, I don't know, Matt, I don't know if you followed Donald Glover's um, rap, parallel rap career as Childish Gambino, um, but that uh, in addition to his work on community and um, his, his stand up work, Do- Donald Glover for the last, for several years, but really, especially for the last year or so, has been uh, recording and uh, releasing music as uh, rap music as Childish Gambino, which was a, the rap name that he came up with through a um, the uh, online Wu Tang name generator uh, that he used while he was in college. Um, <laughs> uh, and and I think what's what's interesting is that we've what's interesting about that. Um, is, you know, we've seen Troy and Abed rap before. I mean, one of the very early um, sort of viral sensations or semi-viral sensations of um, community was the uh, Donde Esta La Biblioteca rap um, <laughs> in, in season one. Um, and and you, there's been, I feel like there have been other types of, of rap type things there and where, where and where Don Glover has brought that skill set in, um, but I think what's really striking about um, what was it Christmas Infiltration, I believe it's called, uh, <laughs> is is that um, in terms of both the production um, and the rapping style, um, it ceases to be Troy rapping, but is is very much delivered in the exact style um, uh, as um, as as. Donald Glover's um, kind of off-screen rapping, which is very much this hybrid of um, it's kind of somewhere between Kanye West, Drake, um, and Lil Wayne um, in terms of the uh, the the sort of tone uh, delivery and and kind of use of use of humor. Um, and and yeah, I don't know. I mean, Jordan, what did you think? What did you think about that and the kind of the transition from Troy rapping to childish Gambino rapping. I mean, again, it seemed like the kind of thing they could have gotten as a show note, like, Hey, let's synergize. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Doesn't it just make sense since he's got this, uh, this album dropping to have him come on and rap. Well, and he and seems then, to be, he seems to be one of the more popular ones outside the show. I mean, he's the one, well, Joel McHale already was a star and is the star of the show, but of the supporting cast, he's the one who's becoming this, like, he has a stand up career. He has a rap career. You know, he seems to be a, uh, like a multimedia superstar, uh, the one that's emerging, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. And I mean, and that's the kind of thing that a studio executive would want quite rightly to capitalize on. Um, but it it does feel like such a sort of departure from, I don't know. I mean, if you're doing a musical episode, right, the the laws of narrative causality are a little bit loose, and they're kind of loose on community anyway. But everything that happens before that on the show could have actually happened in the world. Like when the first song is between Abed and the, uh, and the choir director. Mr. Rat. Yeah, <laughs> it starts off with him actually playing the piano and they're kind of singing and trying to dance together and it's kind of elemental. There is this weird moment where the piano keeps playing after the guy walks away, but that's, you know, that's a throwaway gag. Um, the the rap song is this music video inserted into the fabric of the show and from there on out to the end like all laws of physics are completely off it is i mean it, there is a sort of cutaway to annie walking in on them and they're actually holding a, a lamppost and a like a hairbrush or yeah, something exactly. like that, and like right? singing you know singing into the hairbrush um so that you know it's it's played off as a as a kind of elaborate rap fantasy uh, with the two guys, you know, in their blanket fort. Right, right. 
um, <laughs> where they live, which I love. Yeah. Well, I, I think that there's a few. Um, I mean, something that's interesting. Actually, what it reminds me of was like in one of the Glee season finales, or maybe mid-season finales. Um, didn't Matthew Morrison, as Mr. Shu, sing one of the songs from Matthew Morrison's upcoming album? <laughs> um, like when he was, I think it was like last. Was wasn't that last season? Um, like you, mean, the, you mean when he sang "Bust a Move"? Um, <laughs> No, no, it was uh, uh, it was on a different thing. Was that the Broadway song? Was that the Broadway the, song? Yeah. yeah, the song he sang on the stage uh, in in Broadway. Well, Glee. I mean, talk about like cross media synergy. You know, clusterfuck. Glee has got the market cornered on that. I mean, it seems like they, you know, they, it seems like they plan the tribute album and then build a show around it. Or at least that was one of the criticisms of it last year before it had a. Uh, before it had a writing staff. Now, you know, there aren't, there actually are far fewer episodes as though like paying all those writers means you need more spoken words. Um. Well, I, I, I guess, you know, I think that's something that we didn't talk to. I'm just remembering this, this scene where, um, that we were just discussing where Annie comes into the blanket fort and they're, they're rapping with their, their, their pretend rapping, um, and, and kind of interrupts the imaginary world. And I think the clue that, you know, to Annie that something is wrong and the, the clue that, you know, to everyone that something is wrong is whenever someone in the study group says, yes, and, and we have to get ready for regionals. Right. Um, and, and the, the running joke throughout the episode is that, uh, that, that, that Glee Club members are always talking about regionals. Um, and I can't, I think that. And that's a um, joke. That's a joke about writing. Like that's a joke about plotting, you know, regionals is, exactly. a, Magu- is a MacGuffin in Glee. Uh, in that it's supposed to do – it's just a thing. It's an empty vessel that is supposed to do a lot of narrative work uh, in terms of you know giving people motivation for the way that they act. And it's, it's – what the point the community is making, the point that Dan Harmon and his you know, crack team of pop culture savants are making um, – is that uh, it's it's empty? It's an empty vessel. It's not. It's not like that is actually even really a thing. Right. Yeah. Well, right, and I think that it became less of a thing in in Glee in part because you know we both seasons ended with them losing. Right. Uh, in, in a sense. Um, and or not even in a sense. Like they, you know, th- there was a victory in season two. Um, there were like kind of intermediate victories and then ultimate defeats. Right. Um, in, in both seasons. Um, and, and I think I, I, at a certain point, I mean, this is, I think we, when we hit our rock bottom with Glee, it was after the Nationals uh, uh, episode that was like, okay. After wh- a completely wh- wasted trip to New York. Yeah, yeah, a wasted trip to New York. It was, and and like a wasted competition. It's like, oh, Finn kisses Rachel, they lose. Um, it's like, okay, here we are again. Um, yeah. And and I think that um, you know, in contrast to um, to to Friday Night Lights, the other kind of uh, show that's in our in our um, on on our syllabus, so to speak, uh, that uh, that that has re- uh, iterative competition. Um, I mean, I think that they work this out over time. That in season one, obviously, you have a similar dynamic that it's the quest for state. Um, but I think as the season goes, uh, as the series goes on, they they play with the relationship between the narrative world and the actual kind of football competition, and it never it they modulate the the relative importance between on the field and off the field but i think it never goes away that this the physical thing that they are doing and you know both the intermediate games they're trying to win um you know the men coming to to hurt you um and and the 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 ultimate goals uh, and and the actual physical process of playing the game is never fully divorced from what is happening off uh, off, off the off the field whereas in in glee um there's a sense where it's um, it, it is it is as Mens is much more of a, a MacGuffin and is is much more empty and and you you sort of again see that at the um, at the at the end of the episode where you know Abed sort of says what's next and and Mr. Rad says well you know then it's sub regionals and then some sub regionals and st-, you know there's a list of, of of increasingly like you know it's, it, it, there seems to be a um, a sorcerer's apprentice situation, or you win regionals, and then you cut it. And there's two more things in its place, um, and you and you never you never get anywhere. 
Right. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's interesting how because Friday Night Lights is similar in the in the you know constant effort they're they're a goal directed team and there are these constant competitions and where Friday Night Lights uh, uh, succeeds and Glee fails is that like there is a sense of there's no sense in Glee that anyone is becoming a better singer you know what I mean or that anyone is working on their singing and like you know, developing and, and growing and the, the emphasis in Friday Night Lights on, on practice, you know, and on kind of earning, you know, earning a place on the starting line or earning, uh, through, through improvement, um, earning that, uh, uh, it's, um, I think that's, that's the key element. Whereas, whereas in Glee, because it's very, it's very dramatically uninteresting to watch an entertainer rehearse. It takes a lot of the magic out of it, actually, because like in entertainment, part of it is that it looks effortless. And, uh, that effortless look is, is the result of, uh, a lot of, of very hard work and actually like, you know, knocking the, the, what do they call those? tackling things that they, you know, push across the field, knocking that across the field can be like a small victory, um, you know, on par with, not on par with, but, uh, in the same ballpark as, as tackling a real guy, you know what I mean? That is like football practice provides opportunities for drama that singing practice does not, um, does not provide though. Ask any good, good singer. They are relentless practicers. Well, I I think it's, it's, Oh, I just wanted to say, I mean, I just, just building off of that, I mean, it's striking that, and we've talked about this in the past with Glee, is that in order to have shows with different music number, numbers every week, one of the things that happens is that, you know, Mr. Schuster is a terrible Glee Club coach because every week he changes his mind about what the lesson is and what songs are in their repertoire, right? So just, I mean, imagine Friday Night Lights if Coach Taylor walks in and writes, like field hockey on the board. It's like, all right, this week, this week field hockey team, guys. Um, and, uh, you know, doubles ice dancing. I, I do want to say, though, that, um, first of all, there, there was one early episode of Glee where Kurt was going to go up for a solo and he wasn't, he didn't quite have a high enough voice for it. I think it was Defying Gravity from Wicked or something. Yeah, yeah. And he like, he puts a little star on the keyboard for the high F and you see him working at it a little bit. And then he goes for the audition and he tries to sing it and he like, he blows the note. Um, and that was, that was a neat trick to pull off. It made working at art uh, compelling and interesting and have stakes and things like that. Um, I'll also say that the opposite is also possible. Like there's, there's a real established way of doing sports shows and sports movies where you show people practicing and practicing and they get a little better and then it works out in the game. The episode of Friday night lights, uh, that I watched recently, I think it may be behind you guys where, um, the, the Judd Nelson character, uh, Tim, I guess, right. Uh, he, he starts his running career. They have him sort of power through and it's, uh, it's meant to show how like, he is a morally good person at that particular point in the narrative, and therefore he's able to play football in a way that uh, that Smash is not, because Smash has been kind of outed as this uh, showboating glamour hound who's only out for himself. And because of that, he's like he's got the yips, and he he can't like complete a play well all night. Watching that, I was profoundly aware of the fact that the reason one of those running plays worked and the other one didn't is that the writing staff had ordained it so. That all of those like scenes of people practicing that you see that, that seem to lead up to it, like they don't lead up to it. What leads up to it is the writing staff ordaining it so. Um, so it, it can kind of fall apart on you sometimes. Um, I don't mean to say that Friday Night Lights is a bad show. I think mostly, mostly the football does feel like a thing that's really happening that has, you know, causality involved in it. But, um, it's possible for that to slip too. And when it does, it's actually, it's like, it's profoundly, profoundly, um, obnoxious in a way that it's not obnoxious for that kind of thing to slip with a musical number where it's sort of part of the genre that they just come out of nowhere and sound perfect right away. But I think it is interesting that we're, I mean, I, I, I don't know if we've thought about this before is that in some ways Glee would be, I mean, it's it's difficult. What's difficult about Glee in the long run is that, you know, this is in some ways <laughs> Glee would have been better if after season one it stopped being about a Glee club, um, and and that that uh, and and you know 
maybe people have music in their life in some way or another, but then they just continue to sing in these, in these fantastical ways. Because I think what's very difficult is that to see anything like a real glee club competing, um, uh, or, and, and like actual improvement there, they're singing the same song over and over again. Um, but to have a show that is a satisfying serialized, um, uh, a musical show you have to have different musical numbers every week um and so uh and and they they always come out good the first time um and so th- there's this tension between wanting to like you know have the thing that the show is about in, on the surface level and the kind of deeper kind of like interplay between kind of theme narrative and 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 form um and and i mean it's it's i I mean again um it it was enough of attention that it drove really (laughs) at least two of the three of us away in a very strong way and one at least mostly away yeah and i think you're you're absolutely right like that would have been great because then they could have reserved the actual business of the glee club being a glee club for structurally important points on like the big arc of the season you know, I mean, maybe it isn't even that they um, that they're always in sectionals, but you could have one or two episodes where you actually see people in the Glee Club room rehearsing or doing a performance just for the school or whatever. And the rest of the time, like they're still maybe they're still in the Glee Club, but that's not what the show is about, you know, and the, the musical numbers aren't about that either. Um, which would also sort of solve a, a problem that I think Glee kind of has that all of the numbers now that they are all done by the whole Glee Club, they're all choral numbers. Whereas it was kind of more interesting when they had more room for people to sort of go sing, uh, sing songs kind of on their own. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting. I mean, I think that this idea of like, you know, and, and again, this is something that community actually has done itself, right? Cause in the first season community was ostensibly, it was about a group of people that were, a study group for a Spanish class. Um, and, and I mean, I think this study group had even started because, you know, it was, it was a fake study group, uh, that Jeff like made up, uh, to try to get with Britta in the first place. Um, and then kind of over time and endogenously, this became a group, right? It became a, a community, uh, that were, that were kind of connected to each other through, sort of dense, durable, multifaceted um, relationships. Uh, and, and you know, by the point of, of season three, I, I guess they're all in a biology class together uh, that is, that is uh, taught by Omar. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> awesomely. Um, but, uh, but I think that, I mean, like that has ceased to be as important. And yes, there is this, this study room, um, which is the place where they convene, but it's rarely to to study anymore, and I, I think there's this very jarring uh, moment in the um, in the Christmas episode, in the Glee episode of Community, which they walk into the study room and it's become a choir room, right? Right, and 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 this round, and I think it's, I think there was actually something visually striking that this round, the round table um, that is like that is the central to the 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 physical layout of the world of of Community, and and you kind of. Because certain people face each other, right? Um, and there's a there's a certain circular layout um, that has has been replaced with hierarchy of everyone facing forward um, in rows, um, and and uh, and and uh, there's just something very jarring about that and ominous. Uh, and then also the the a, a very nice parody of the piano playing dude from Glee also showed up. Um, <laughs> right. Right. Just just in case you weren't sure whether this was making fun of Glee or not. Um, although, again, <laughs> that point, I'm not sure how you couldn't be sure, given that the first song, uh, the first musical number was called Glee. Uh, and included lines, everything looks better when the cameras are spinning. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, then, and then they have the, the little kind of musical bumpers. Uh, by the way, that guy, that piano guy's name is Brad Ellis, and he's my Facebook friend. Uh, nice. I, I found him on Facebook and just friended him, and he accepted me. So maybe he'd do the same for you if you. Uh, if how you, how many friends does he have on Facebook? Uh, Three thousand. Huh. So he's not at the five thousand limit for an individual profile yet. He'll have to start a fan page at that point, I guess. Huh. Um, 
But he he interacts with people on his Facebook page. If you know, not that I stalk the piano player from Glee in an Glee in an excessively creepy way or anything. But uh, well, that's know. interesting. He's interesting that he's in this kind of in between world between kind of normal person and celebrity, right? Um, and and he's it, an actual real very good piano player and musical director, which is how a lot of a lot of people uh, I guess know him or a lot of performers know him that he's been the. Uh, you know, I don't know the piano player at their audition or something uh, back uh, back in leaner days. I guess I mean something that we've been kind of shading towards, you know, as we were kind of wrapping up this discussion of the community Christmas episode. You know, the is, um, the, the, uh, sorry. the word shading has become a really theme word for us this uh, this episode. I mean, we're we're shading like crazy. We're all shading all over the place. I just kind of shaded my pants a little bit. Um, <laughs> uh, Okay, I'll stop shading because you cut me off. Sorry, I didn't I mean to make you self-conscious I... about it. It's just, you know, this is the, uh, this is the, the burden of uh, introspection, I guess, or something. Um, anyhow, what I was saying before I was interrupted uh, was is that um, I, I was just trying to transition the, uh, the conversation because somebody has to host this episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, to a, a broader discussion of of how community as a show about a, a college uh, relates to uh, the other shows that we uh, that we study, which is uh, which are all about um, study watch uh, discuss, uh, which are all about um, high schools and and I think that what was making me think about this is this question of you know in, in Glee we're kind of saying well it's it's all cycling and it's always these this this these these goals of regionals um but something that's been i think on the minds of you know both the characters of Glee and and watchers of Glee of what happens when these people graduate and we've right. talked about this a lot in in high school shows and i think this is something that came up uh, on the overthinking it podcast when you guys were discussing community and it's uh hiatus and i think um i mean i think there's a few things i think one is you know, I, th- I guess community is a very specific kind of college show in that it's a community college show. So right. most of these people are at, uh, they're actually at a very wide range in terms of their their ages. Um, and, you know, community colleges um, have a more kind of permeable relationship with the, you know, the non-scholastic uh, world. But then there's a question of how long would or ought community to last as well. And I think... Um, you know, Pete Fenzel said something very interesting when people were kind of complaining uh, and being sad about community possibly ending or being on um, indefinite hiatus. I said, well, he said sort of, is there a, a reason, you know, a narrative reason for this show to keep going or that, you know, are there things that are happening with the characters and the plot that, you know, would be a shame for it to end? And I think the answer for that is is not necessarily, right? It's become much more... I think community I mean, has, not even has become is actually quite um, episodic, uh, and and I think it would be sad if it ended just because it is a good thing. It is a thing that uh, that that uh, one likes uh, and, and brings enjoyment every time, and you want as much of that as possible. Um, and so I'm just I'm just kind of. Yeah, and there's, a, I mean, there's a risk as that continues, isn't there? That like every, you know, every time you roll the die, it it may b- break. Every time you flip the coin, let me switch metaphors midstream. It may come up heads or it may come up tails. Like the longer community goes on, the higher the probability becomes that it will get bad at some point, right? Well, I, I like okay, the idea. Okay. Actually, I, I like that you said roll the die because it actually evokes the central device in the multiple timelines uh, episode. Seriously, uh, right? The, the, the metaphor season. there was the metaphor there was clearly every time you roll the die, there's a chance you wind up in evil universe. Right. Uh, there's a chance that you that you branch off into an alternate timeline where Pierce gets shot in the leg and dies. Jeff loses an arm. Uh, Britta puts a washable blue streak in her hair. Um, Annie is locked up in an insane asylum. Troy, Troy has like a what, like a trach or a, a <laughs> yeah, a, what, a, like a dolphin talk voice box. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because he tried to eat the troll, and um, <laughs> uh, and Abed is cutting out felt felt goatees for everybody. I will say, I do think, much as I love community, and I hate to say this, it, it's been spinning its wheels a little bit this season. Felt like there were one too many episodes where it was like um, broken down into one little story for every member of the cast. 
So like the alternate alternate timeline episode, that was great. But the um the scary stories on Halloween episode, yeah. which was back to back, I was like, ah, I've kind of seen that before. And even this recent musical number one, right? It's like every character gets their song. And they don't really connect in any kind of uh way that builds to a lot larger, except that it's a hilarious parody of Glee and a hilarious parody of Invasion of the Body Snatchers and a hilarious parody of, like, the various show notes that people have been getting. So, like, uh, with with Troy, it's uh, why not have him be more like Childish Gambino? And with um, with Annie, it's like, can we have her be dumber and hotter? And with Britta, it's like, can we write that character off the show? Can she stand in the back and not talk? Uh-huh. Because <laughs> that, that would be the way to, to fix her, ideally. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, it's very well, and and with and with Chevy Chase is is can we use Chevy Chase to reach out to his to the baby boomers? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? exactly. Right. A, you talked about him as one of the stars on the show, or one of the like the the sort of draws, and it's like, do you think Chevy Chase is a uh, ratings draw? I bet he's a big part of why the show got like picked up and promoted. Well, sure, maybe. Of, they were like they were sort of using him that way, but I think one of the great things about the show is that they allowed him to be, first of all, a fairly minor character. Like they they don't give him more to do than needs to happen, and then they have him become this extremely unpleasant character. You know, people who are like who love um, Chevy Chase from Saturday Night Live and from the uh, National Lampoon movies, if they turn on to to watch sort of that uh, lovable doof, they're going to find this like this. In- this insane, bitter, racist old man that they really don't try to soften very much at all. Like, if anything, they show you why he's messed up, but they don't ever flinch from how messed up he is. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, just uh, one of the wonderful ways um, that that community is willing to kind of punch you square in the face. Sure, than... like, or the way, I mean, the fact that he brings the troll as a Christmas gift for Troy, you know what I mean? He does something, <laughs> he does something intentionally just to be a dick in full knowledge of how dickish it is. And as the, I mean, as the, as that episode goes on and his, the, the timelines kind of become a little softer, um, he eventually like throws the troll away before Troy gets to it. And in the final timeline, he, uh, in the one where Abed catches the die, he, um, you know, puts it in the, he puts it in the trash and, and Troy never sees it. But, um, though, you know, it, it would probably be pretty, uh, pretty nerve wracking to empty your trash and find the troll, uh, in it. Um, <laughs> He, uh, he, I'm sure they don't empty their trash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, he's just, he's just a dick. And actually, even when, um, even in the advanced gay episode, the source of another musical number that we may or may not get to, like, even when he starts, um, on, on kind of capitalistic ground, starts, uh, being accepting of gay people, you know, his father's return in the ivory toupee, uh, can, you know, set him against it. It's not a principled. It's not a principled stand that he's taking. You know what I mean? It's an opportunistic one. Well, should we? I mean, should we go into to timelines? Roxanne. I mean, I suppose I'm supposed to be hosting the show, right, Ryan? Yeah, take it away. <laughs> um, so the musical, <laughs> the musical thing there is is a kind of a running gag that pays at the end uh, when. Um, uh, Britta has Britta, who is high, has Roxanne on her iPod and is uh, putting it, uh, you know, putting it on the speakers. Starts to sing, and she gets rock out of her mouth. And Jeff turns to her and goes, "No!" And he does that in all six all six uh, timelines that he rolls. And in the seventh, when Abed catches the die, he um, uh, he's getting the pizza, and so Britta is allowed to sing. And it's actually that singing, uh, that terrible, terrible singing, and weird dancing from everybody that uh, that actually makes that final timeline good. Uh, that you know brings the group together in its in its strange way. And uh, when Jeff returns with the pizza, he you know picks up a slice and stands shaking his head in wonder at the uh, losers and misfits who are his friends. Well, exactly. Yeah. I think it's interesting, actually, thinking about that episode um, alongside the Christmas episode, is that it's Britta's horrible singing that, like, like restores the social order. Right. right? Uh, or, or it keeps us in the, the where we're supposed to be. Um, and that it's not supposed to be good. Um, and that, um, but it's, it's that kind of, like, badness and weirdness together is what makes a makes community uh what it is and makes these this group of people a group of friends right so the, and that you know in some ways jeff is almost a destabilizing 
um, presence that, you know, that every time that he stopped that from happening, it led to a variety of different um, kind of Rube, uh, you know, this Rube Goldberg type or like a mousetrap type event of of various types of of things. But uh, it was actually when Jeff stepped out um, or was, you know, tried, you know, tried to get away as he has in many times uh, in the, in the series that, that things actually like, uh, came out as as we feel they should, or, or as uh, in a way that is recognizable um, and and uh, and and in line with where the show is going. Where, where they where they are a community, where they are that's, a community. That's the only one where they're all together at the end, which is kind of funny because um, in a way it's the most musicalish thing. Like that, that's something that musicals do all the time. Like the either the last number or the next to last number is everyone in the show is like, "Hey, we're all buddies." Um, sure, or well, is- that like sing, be, the idea being singing and dancing together is a trope of of kind of being on the same place or being aligned, having your interests aligned with someone else's. Yeah, yeah, and like, and the only person in that group who doesn't want to sing along goofily to Roxanne is Jeff Winger. Um, which is, I mean, again, it's sort of, they're a little bit more coy about Jeff being a horrible person, but they don't flinch away from that too much either. Sure. It's- well, I, I, I think that that comes up in another interesting kind of both musical number um, is the, in the moving episode where Annie's moving in with Abed and Troy. Um, again, Jeff uh, explicitly removes himself from from the group uh by by lying about being sick to get out of uh, helping annie move um and then is uh blackmailed by by the dean uh into among other things singing uh seals kiss from a rose at karaoke um, (laughs) in in a duet right and that's that's in a montage with um uh jesus loves marijuana and the uh, the Pierce hallucination, right? Like that's that actually that song kind of uh, in the kind of cross cutting among the A, B, and C story in that uh, in that episode. That song um, does a lot of does a lot of what a song traditionally does in a musical uh, in terms of like. Uh, showcasing an emotional high point. I mean, the idea in musicals is that, like, when words fail you, when it's you know, when there's just too much feeling uh, to express in words, that it comes out in music instead. And uh, you know, the the sort of height of humiliation, the sort of height of uh, of whatever the the hobo, the you know, wandering the homeless hitchhiker. Uh, it's, it's this sort of discomfort, right? Of a real of like there, it's a realization that. There is no moral superiority in moral superiority, right? right? <laughs> and that, um, and that, and then in the Pierce one, he's just high as a kite from the the paint fumes, uh, you know. <laughs> I, I, I YouTube that. I'm sorry. I'm I'm doing the obnoxious thing and giggling, remembering how funny it was. That thing that I watched an hour ago that was really funny. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, is there is there any meaning? Is there any significance to the? to the use of kiss from a rose other than the fact that it's a a funny song um, and a funny song and, and that, that the 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 two actors sing it in a funny way uh or is is there well, any- i think it's like i mean i think the idea is that it's the dean's kind of fantasy message it's it's like these are the words he would love to hear from jeff or he would these are the words he would love jeff to love for, to hear from him or something like that it's about the fantasy uh relationship uh that the dean imagines like uh you know you became the light on the dark side of me when it know me my power my pleasure my pain like that that's uh that's what he wishes uh jeff were to him i guess it's also it's a it's a very earnest song like i mean i don't know i think it's kind of a great song but it, it's a comical song because of how earnest it is um not just in the lyrics but also in, in some of the musical values are just like um, so unselfconscious um, that it becomes very comical to have uh, either one of those characters singing it. Because, you know, although the Dean will dress up in fetish gear all the time, you don't get the feeling that he's comfortable in his own skin. And uh, Jeff Winger is very, very controlled and calculated about everything he does. Uh, really busting out at karaoke in general is a, a thing that... Uh, 
indicates a kind of loss of that control. And that song in particular makes it more so, I think. Like, I'm trying to think, like, what, what other songs would fit into that. Um, anything by Rush, certainly Roxanne sort of, like, falls into the same ballpark. Well, I think, and I guess and another thing about Kiss from a Rose is that it's always um, inextricably, inextricably linked to the Batman Forever, to Batman Forever uh, as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and I think part of what makes, because it's a very, it is a very earnest uh, song, um, and yet, and, and the music video was intercut with scenes from, from the Batman film, and yet they don't really have very much to do do with each other um that i recall um other than that it was kind of um you know i, I remember seal singing beside the bat signal um <laughs> i don't know I, I think that that makes it a more remarkable song just the the association with um it's like now with more more time. more associated with batman than um r kelly's gotham city or prince's bat dance uh, or U2's, was it Love Me? Hold Me, hold me Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me. Hold, hold Me, Kiss Me. Yeah, I mean, I guess, well, just in general, it's just, I think that, especially now that Batman has taken the very um, Christopher Nolan Dark Knight turn, just having any Batman song is this jarring um, and kind of almost alienating thing, right? So that to, to think of this song, I feel like it creates these associations of like, oh yeah, that was a Batman song. Um, and, and it makes it a more remarkable song than, oh yeah, that's that seal song. Um, right. If, you know, I, I think that, you know, they could have sung like a Brian McKnight song or something like that. Um, or boys to men that had some similar, uh, types of, uh, themes. Yeah, but this and is it, like, how uh, you couldn't sing like, you know, it's true. Everything I do, I do it for you. Right. Like you, or you, the choice of that song is the choice of, uh, is the choice of Robin Hood. Right. Like, sure, sure. And same. And, and, um, and my heart will go on is the choice of Titanic. Sure. Right. Um, but I think that, it, that, um, in some ways, what is, what is interesting is that there, you know, we haven't had, I mean, has there now been a, I don't think there's been a, has, has there been a gritty reboot of Robin Hood? Um, yeah, it in, had in, Russell Crowe in it, but no one saw it. Right, right. It, it wasn't the same kind of a force. I mean, because in my mind, the Kevin Costner Robin Hood is still the, the, the kind of recent Robin Hood. Sure. I mean, by by the standards of what Robin Hood has been, the Kevin Costner one was a gritty reboot. You know, that's like, true. <laughs> compared to compared to Errol Flynn, that, that's interesting how that changes. And I mean, I think even um, I mean, it's funny you say that because that's also you know the the nineteen eighties the Tim Burton Batman's were gritty reboots uh, of of Batman compared to the TV series. Um, and yet we look back now and, uh, I mean, granted the, that line, that lineage of Batman mutated by the time it got to Batman forever and Batman and Robin to something much more cartoonish and much closer to the, um, the TV series. But I think that just the way that kind of the, the, the visual style and, um, and music were, were presented together, uh, was very different in the nineties. And so that I think that kiss from a rose, um, and its use here, like, kind of evokes all of that. Um, and and I, I think that it's part of what it is is that it is like a song that is like meant to be like in its association with Batman, meant to be darker and more sinister than it really is. Um, and in a way, it, like remembering that is kind of funny and ironic. But then in this, like, the context of this episode with a a gay black male um, abuse of authority plot uh and then intercut with a hitchhiker and a um overdose on paint fumes becomes dark again right and there's this interesting cycle of like lightness and darkness um that that uh that uh that that is related to the use of of that song and makes it like really i mean i remember the first time i watched that i was you know laughing hysterically um and like really just like you know, I think shouting, yeah, yeah, awesome. <laughs> awesome indeed. Awesome well, indeed. Maybe, wow. maybe we've rung the changes. Maybe it's time for us to uh, sing our closing number here. 
Hearing no objection, the host continues. Uh, if you would like to, I, I never make this appeal on this show, but uh, if you would like to support overthinking it, it's the holidays after all. Um, you can, uh, here's something that you can do. Maybe you haven't seen Community because you're a, a devoted, um, you're a devoted fan of teen soap operas like Gossip Girl and Friday Night Lights. Well, uh, you can get your start by buying the, uh, buying the season one and season two community DVDs through Overthinking It. On the homepage right now, if you go to www.overthinkingit.com, uh, you will find our Christmas list and community. The community DVDs are at the top of it, uh, where you can, uh, b- uh, buy the DVDs a- through Amazon through our link and support Overthinking It. Because we get the little Amazon kickback that they give uh, to people who order anything, not just those, but anything from Amazon through the links on our site. So uh, once a year, it's uh, it's time for me to hit you up, uh, the These Fucking Teenagers audience, uh, for that. And uh, even if you go on and buy um, DVDs of Gossip Girl or God Help Us Glee, uh, as long as you enter Amazon through one of our links, we will get a little something from it and we'll be very grateful to you at this most grateful time of year. If you want to join the conversation, we promise we'll return to the shows that we uh, that we purport to be about at some point. Um, but if you want to talk about community or anything else, you can email us at tftpodcast at overthinkingit.com. You can call or text 20FATJOG01. That's 203-285-6401. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at TFT Podcast. You can like the These Fucking Teenagers podcast page on Facebook. Or you can... Uh, Join the um, join the the conversation on the show notes for this post about community. Uh, so for Ryan Chile, Jordan, Jordan Stokes, and myself, we say thank you very much. We promise that we will be back to uh, analyzing homosociality. We will be back to analyzing privilege and international relations. We will be back to analyzing uh, you know the decline of America on the world stage vis a vis Texas football. And most of all, we will be back soon to analyzing your favorite these These fucking fucking teenagers. teenagers